Hey, uh, hey, Dustin. Yeah, buddy. What is cinema? Well, I don't know. Who knows? What did Andre Bazan? You got that book. You bought yeah. that book secondhand. What's Andre Bazan say cinema is? Bazan thinks he knows what it is. He wrote a whole. Is it Bazan or Bazan? Bazan. Is it Bazinga? Kaz- is it Kazan or Kazan? It's um. Ellie Kazan. Kazan. Yeah. Kazan. It's Kazan. Kazan. Okay. But that's an A. Uh-huh. This is an I. B A Z I N. All right. All right. All right. Bazan. I think it's because fr- French, right? Is he French? He is French. Bizarre. Well, nobody's perfect. Oh, yeah. So we can't hold that against him. It's true. Is it still okay to be mean to the French? Are we allowed to do that still? Well, I think we can be mean to Bazan because he has two books. His What is Cinema Volume 1 and Volume 2. Yeah, huh? Um, he thinks he answers the question. But he still has enough two books? Um, well, it takes two books to do it, and I'm not sure he does, does it? it? Question mark? <laughs> Checks out, I guess. Good on him, I guess. Yeah, something like that. He really likes long takes. He's a big fan of that. Oh. Hey. Uh, Cinema Verita thing, huh? Yeah, something like that. While we're talking about what movies are, that this might be a good time to talk about this movie that's different than most of the movies we yeah, talked about. Yeah, well, hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Honor Cast. We gather around a table, and we discuss the films you'll never discuss, and this week's film is not an exception because there's better Varda out there, uh, where we look at Agnes Varda's Faces Places. You got or, sidetracked. You forgot to tell them the part about uh, movies you wouldn't talk about at film studies course. Oh, movies we would not talk he about. He alluded to it. But. He alluded. You didn't get all the way there. I made an illusion. You got sidetracked by Varda. It's an illusion, Michael. It's all illusions, because tricks are done by others. Um, Is that a Bazan quote? It, Bazan did say that tricks are illusions. Wait, really? No. Oh, okay. I would believe... <laughs> Tell me, tell me something that Bazan said. I'll believe it. Bazan said mm-hmm. that um, if you make a movie and you produce that movie, that you are masturbating all the time. Hmm. 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 It's just a way to sublimate your sexual urges. Did he really say that? No. Oh, I would have believed it. See? He's gullible. I'll believe anything. I just don't know anything about what the French people have to say about film, even though they created film analysis. By the way, I don't I've want. I don't want to know. Written the word "gullible" on the ceiling of our studios. You. <laughs> I, was, I was doing a bit. I promise, I was in on the bit. He was. I swear to God, I was in on the bit the whole time. There he was. Uh, so yeah, we watched, ruined the bit. We watched this Agnes Varda movie called "Faces Places," which or "Visages Villages," which I think I like the French title. I do better. too. It's fun. Yeah, it's yeah. got the, the alliteration's a little bit better. Yeah. yeah, alliterative and it rhymes, which is cool. Yeah. Uh, oh, and she made it with this this young hipster named Jr. Jr. Because he doesn't have a real name like Banksy. Well, I get it. I get, look. I, I can somewhat understand the uh, desire to separate your uh, your personal persona from your public persona. That makes sense. I get that. Slash Saul Hudson, something yeah. like that. Madonna. Do you know her real name? You run the risk of becoming your uh, your outside face sometimes. You run the risk of becoming Batman instead of being Bruce Wayne. Yes, and that would not be a thing that we'd want to happen for Jr. I don't want that to happen for anybody. Yeah, fair weird. enough. Maybe we'll talk about that later. So, anyway, um, welcome to the show. Um, we used to have a spoiler warning, but we don't do that anymore, so um, don't worry about that. But I do want to introduce the disembodied voices discussing this particular film to you. If you've tuned in for the very first time, who are you, sir? Ow, I'm Arthur Gordon. Don't do a hit. Dustin. Okay, hi, buddy. This is a safe place. Yeah. So, who are you, sir? Hey, I'm Don Stewart. And uh, fun fact, uh, last week when we watched uh, Wayne's World, there was a, a Pet cemetery poster in one scene. I meant to say something oh, about it. Fun. Oh, there was. There was indeed. Yeah. Isn't that a hoot? And uh, Connections I'm, abound. I'm Dustin, and the Gleaners and I is better. And I'm there's, another, there's another connection here, because uh, remember that scene where they go to the Pet cemetery? Oh, no. They bury their pets. Uh, that's not pets? 
Those are people. Soylent Green is people. That was really good, Arthur. Thank you for that. Uh, so yeah, we're going to talk about Faces Places, and uh, we're going to spoil the shit out of it. Yeah, uh, because docu- is, it's not really. Can you spoil a documentary? You cannot spoil a documentary, but we're doing this because it is Women's History Month. Yes. And so we're doing that thing for the month of March. And Agnes we unfortunately Martin, did not have a lady guest on the show today. We tried; it did not work out. Scheduling. We did our weird. best. Yeah. Well, um, avant-garde art film, experimental film. You know. I don't know that it's that avant-garde. It's not that. No, it's not. Yeah, I wouldn't call wavy. it any. Mm, yeah, I would definitely call it's, it. It's a little artsy fartsy. It is a little artsy it, it's, fartsy. It's a little uh, OKC Museum of Art. It's a little homework, and we'll talk about that probably. Um, but I guess you can't. You can spoil some documentaries. I mean, I think you could probably say you spoil Dear Zachary. You could spoil Three Identical Strangers. Yeah. yeah. Um, you could spoil Made that in movie. Turns out it's about Nazis. Isn't that wild? Mm. It's fucking insane. OJ did it. No, that movie's not about Nazis. I'm a Three Identical Strangers. Oh, sorry. It's wild. Are we talking about Free Solo? OJ killed Nazis, You too? could actually make the argument that any documentary that takes place after the mid-20th century, that was made after the mid-20th century, is about Nazis. Cause... I said zombies. Oh, zombies. <laughs> <laughs> slip of the tongue. Uh, you know, look, six of one, half a dozen of the other. You say fascist, I say undead. Uh, who can tell the difference? Well, okay. it's a good week. Hey, this movie's about Nazis. We'll there's a Nazi bunker week. in this there, movie. There, there's, there's a Nazi, a Nazi bunker. bunker. There we're is a still bunker. on topic. It's okay. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we're going to talk about spoilers from the very tippity top of the show. We used to not do that. You'll be fine. It's okay. If you want to see Faces Places, now's a good time to stop and go do that. If you're, you're fine letting us tell you what it's about first, all right, strap in. Uh, here, here comes a synopsis from our beautiful boy, Arthur Gordon. So we've had some feedback about coming up with more in-depth, a little longer uh, synopsis for these movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, yeah, this would be a great time. We'll do it this week. There's not really a lot of plot in this movie. True. I did my best, but, I mean, it's it's really just them walking around the, uh, driving around the countryside uh, doing art. So uh, there's not much to spoil, but I do have a synopsis. Let's hear it. I'm so excited. In this Academy Award-nominated documentary, visual artist J.R. and celebrated French New Wave director Agnes Varda form an unlikely friendship. The two cross paths and decide to capture slices of life across the French countryside. The two artists visit villages, mining towns, farms, factories, and more, creating gigantic murals and immortalizing the everyday people who keep the world turning. Yeah, it's a real Harold and Maude thing. Yeah. Except they don't bang. With, without the bang or that the That we murder. know of. Wait, Harold murders Maude? They're, no, they murder somebody, don't they? <laughs> I've never seen it or read it. I don't know. No, they kill somebody. <laughs> Buddy, I don't know. I've never no, seen somebody it. dies. And Harold's like all the time like faking his own suicides. Are we talking about Harold and Kumar? <laughs> different movie, I think. Different, they, different they to, movie. They go to White Castle, right? Hey, Dustin, you got us into this mess. What do you think about uh, Faces Places by Agnes I, Varda? I like it. It's fun. I, I It's real sentimental. It is, but it's sentimental in a, a very humanist way, though, huh? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I mean, I mean, I love Agnes Varda. I think she is absolutely adorable. And so she I mean, would be so fucking furious to hear you call her adorable. She is, though. She would hate it. I know she would. But, but yeah, she's. <sighs> no, I love her. I have like all this goodwill towards as her. as a button. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She. I mean, and that's because she is both uh, thoughtful and incisive. And um, I think in a certain way she's like relentless in her pursuit of art. And so that's not exactly a, a precious sort of category that you might categorize somebody yeah. with. But she does that alongside with just being very, very dear. Very, very kind. Yeah, kind. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and she's... Um, no bullshit. She she wants you to be a real person. She's very vulnerable, I think, in yeah, this film. Absolutely. And, and And that's what really sort of makes that whole thing work. Well, and I think that's a key thing in this film is her... 
frustration with other people's refusal to be vulnerable. Right. And I, oh, I'm sure we'll talk about that more in a little bit. And that brings me to Jr., uh, who I like less. He's um, kind of a turkey. He's kind of a, you know, I, I, I like hipsters. I do. But he's the kind I don't. Look, if you said Dalton, write me a sketch about a, a, a real French ponce, I'd have wrote Jr. And you'd have told me, that's a little bit much. You should tone it to take about 20% off the top there, bud. Uh, yeah, JR is a caricature of a person. He really is. And I, I think he's doing it on purpose. It, it's the, a thing. It's a, it's a stage. It's an presence. affectation. Yeah. But it's still uh, vexing. So I don't love him. Um, that, and I think there's a weird way in which the uh, John Luke Goddard meeting is staged. I, I, I wonder. I, no, I mean, I think everybody wonders when you watch that. I, it feels it feels fake. Well, I, my argument, not to side really too much, is that there are sequences in this film that are clearly staged. Right. And that's not one of them. And it certainly seems to me that the sequences that are very staged are very staged with the intent of showing you how yeah. staged they are. Yeah, but I, I, I don't know if I quite buy that. And it, it, she seems legitimately upset. She, she does, about Jacques Demy, and, you know, that was her husband. And, oh, uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they, they were married. So that, that reference to Jacques is crucial. And he died in 90 flat, maybe? So, 92. So Jean-Luc was like her and her husband's like bud. Yeah, they, they, they just they, all hung out together. They were, they were all part pals. of that same yeah, they crew. Were, yeah, they were that French New Wave crew. That makes sense. They were all doing that wow. stuff together. So, I mean, ugh. I don't know about it. So, right. listener, for for frame of reference, uh, to if all of these names that were thrown around are all Greek to you, this would be if you're a listener of the show, this this will make sense. If you're not, it won't. And I'm sorry, but that'd be like if I died, and uh, Doctor Fiance wanted to go hang out and like have lunch with Heath one when she was in her 80s, and Heath like was like, "Psych, I'm not home. Here's a note that's a like a coy reference to our friendship." Right. That's fucking shady. Right. It makes me think Jean-Luc Godard's a bad person. It does. And, and she says this weird line where she says, like, he's a rat and I love him. And, it, yeah, she's got a complicated feeling about it. And so, I mean, and again, that complication I buy a little bit. But again, I'm not quite sure okay. this happened. Interesting. And I felt a little cheated by that moment, honestly. Mm-hmm. Okay, so okay. I'm like, grr, a little bit about that. Um, but nonetheless, I think it's fun. I think it's fine. I think it's uh, an interesting exercise. I, I mean, it gets all that sort of Academy Award love, you know, as a nominee in 2018. But uh, I'm again, I'm just not entirely feeling it uh, for this particular film. So, um, but otherwise, though, I mean, I love Varda. I like what she does. I like the Left Bank uh, more so than I do the sort of Cahiers de Cinema crowd of the French New Wave, the Left Bank guys like Alan. Renee. Give me an analogy here. Um, so uh, the Cahiers de Cinema guys. Okay, here's an analogy. Uh, this is, uh, the, so there's the, the new Amer- new Hollywood cinema. Okay. So we've got... You got George Lucas's, your Francis Ford Coppola's, your Steven Spielberg's. Right, who are doing things new and differing, different and interesting. Is and that, all, all that's that. Left Bank? That, that's, that is, that's Kaye. Kaye. Okay. And then we've got new American cinema with Jonas Mikas and those cats. Gotcha. That's, that's Renee Left Bank. And that's Varda. Okay, cool, And cool. those guys, yeah. So it's the, weird, it's the weirder folk. Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're the people who are deliberately making less commercial stuff. Yes. I okay. mean, not to say that, the, of course... There's something very, very experimental yeah. in the Kaye crowd. I mean, we've all seen Breathless. Breathless yeah. is not like a Hollywood movie. Yeah. But well, yeah, he, if you don't trick people with money to giving you into giving you money, you don't get 
The Matrix, which yes. is just always going to be my go-to for good popcorn cinema. But if you watch like Hiroshima and Monomore or um, Last Year in Marion Bad or something like that, you realize, oh wait, they could do something even more. They could they could crank that dial from Breathless to eleven. Gotcha. There are there are gotcha. There are notches left. There are gears left in that particular overdrive. Well, because Breathless is like actively doing this thing, and a lot of those. Hi, this is me going to dip my toes in something I don't really know a whole lot about. Uh, but my understanding is those Coyote Cinema folk are like, oh hey, American like crime fun cinema has infiltrated french cinema and that's all we're watching and what's that about mm-hmm. right that's kind of the yeah. whole deal is like let's make deconstructionist pop art and let's edit it edit it in a weird way yeah and edit yeah. it in a way where it's like not fun when the action happens right right okay interesting and, uh, as opposed to saying hey you know time doesn't exist let's just take pictures of people and yeah have fun which is what last year in marion bad's about cool 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 okay thanks for that uh that reference dustin so all right well there you go uh, that's my thoughts are you I've heard like tell that you not a fan, huh? You guys made me spend 90 minutes watching this movie. <laughs> we did. And I'm so glad that you did. Uh, I love it. You were doing a goof. You were doing Trickster. a trick. You you tricksy false I hobbit. loved every minute of this movie. Hell yeah. I really did. Hell uh, yeah. Like you said, I mean, <laughs> is so adorable. Mm-hmm. She's so I want to hang good. out with her for an afternoon. I know. I like JR. I do. I, I like their really? dynamic together. I think it's interesting. I do he, like their dynamic. Yeah. I, I agree there. Him on his own, I don't know. I'd watch a whole movie, but I, I like their interplay. I think it works, and I think it's interesting, and I think that kind of through line of her trying to see him is, is a fun little bit that they play through uh, through the whole film. And I think that, to your point, uh, the the moment where you know he finally takes off his glasses oh, I love due it. to the, the Godard thing, that could show the Godard thing's a little more set up. It does seem, yes. Right, because mm-hmm. if it's not for the Godard thing, he's not going to show her the, the gl- without the glasses, yeah. and that's the whole punchline of the movie. Massive Godard connect- connection with yeah. him drink, uh, wearing the glasses all the yeah. time. Yeah. So I, I to your point, I, I could see it. It does feel pretty authentic to me, though. I think the meeting with the uh, or the attempt to meet Godard feels pretty authentic. Um, but yeah, I, I real. I mean, honestly, this is a movie I could see probably would have cracked my top ten if I'd watched it in 2017. I, I really enjoyed it. I, I, I like the sincerity of it and. That that pathos that it brings, and just these reflections on this this country that's really not that much different than ours, uh, which I think is you know really interesting to point out in this day and age. But you have the dead mining towns, and you mm-hmm. have the the lone farmers just trying to get by and working the harder with that less. Got started and they just abandoned building yeah. it. Yeah, it was super interesting to see uh, another. Uh, Western country have just like the rural areas be completely abandoned. Yeah, and I, man, it's interesting. No, we're not just, the only ones. I really wanted to just go retire to the French countryside. There's oh. something just so beautiful and peaceful about it. Okay. How Sesame Street is that moment where they're in the abandoned village? A and letter, the, and, and the girl says, "Oh, you brought me a letter." And it's, he shows up. He hands her the letter. N. <laughs> it's a great bit. It's so funny. I love those moments of that kind of that uh, French New Wave influence when they go to the eye doctor and they have everybody on the steps with the letters, uh, yeah. forming the giant sign. And, and then they move it so they can like illustrate what Agnes's vision yeah. uh, issues are. Yeah, yeah. I, those little beats, and then he kind of pops out behind a tree, kind of to set up that whole section. And then she's got the the, the eyeglass things on. It's amazing. Um, it's a fun bit. I'm not a fan of seeing on Chien on Delu. I. I didn't need to see it. I was not there for that. Oh, I was okay with that drive. I, I've never seen it. I really didn't care to see an mm. eye getting cut open. Um, I didn't even really care to see the needle going in her eye. No, nope. it, so it, it, it was a calf. Down. It wasn't a person. It doesn't matter. Uh, it doesn't matter. As soon as there was a reference to uh, Unchained Delu, I was like, oh, because uh, uh, lovely Dr. B, do no like eye trauma. Uh, and I was like, hey, 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 babe, get ready. Huh? 
uh, and they started describing it. And she's like, oh, no. <laughs> very quickly, like, yeah. anticipated them showing it. Avert the eyes. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, uh, I, uh, I, I I did. I liked it quite a bit. And I, I really didn't know what I was getting in for. I mean, the synopsis for the movie doesn't give away a lot. So I didn't know, like, tonally what it was going to be. I didn't know really what they were going to be attempting to do. And just to see this art kind of come up, up across the countryside, like the thing on the barn and uh, uh, the cafe with the, the girl with the parasol and all these little pieces just going up. And, and even the Nazi bunker where it's washed away after day, like, just to be able to capture that moment for a minute. It's, you know, obviously on film, but just all that work and the the emotional i think for her to kind of mm-hmm. see that kind of up there was that that whole section i think is probably one of my favorites is uh when they're trying to figure out what goes on that bunker and she's looking back at her talking about Guillaume or guy or guy bourdain yeah not the photographer with guy debord who i thought for a long time that's who she was talking about mm. um from the uh, situationist movement so not the same guy at all. But these whole themes are f- reflecting on life and obviously her reflecting on her life and death and, you know, all of those things. I, I, I appreciated those conversations. I thought it was just a fun watch to ride. I, I've never thought of the idea of having a buddy comedy documentary. Yeah. And it works so well. It's good. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I, I am all in on this movie. I really, really like it, like it a lot. You tricksy false guy. I tell you what. Well, Dalton, um, I think you've already expressed some love. Go ahead and gush on this He's movie. a wild one like that, isn't he? Yeah, he it's is. good. Yeah, it's it's a real good time. Uh, I, I knew a little bit more to expect going in than you did, Arthur. I, it was either uh, Film Spotting, Film Spotting SVU, uh, one of the film podcasts that I followed real closely at back shortly after this came out, did a like, full episode about it, or maybe when it was first hit streaming. Um, so I kind of knew what, what it was going to be going in, but it, it's just such a hoot to watch. Um, I, I still stand by my statement about it feeling a little bit homeworky, just because, you know, it's kind of adorably paced, but, you know, if you're not there for that vibe, if you're kind of looking for something a little bit more aggressive, uh, you know, it's just not going to you know, it isn't French, so you do have to pay attention. To which is fine. I mean, I, that I don't mind. It's just it's a very calm city thinky watch, and yeah, if you're not there for that, um, it's not gonna it's not gonna hit your buttons. It also meanders a lot in places, and in, at times that's very good. I think the times when it meanders that that really work for me is uh, uh, when they go meet the dock workers and their wives uh, and, and talk to them. That's one of my favorite sections of the movie when they kind of spend time at the goat farms is really great. Um, but the stuff at the coal or, or the salt factory or the the, the hydrochloric acid factory, yeah. the word salt, that right. I don't love that digression. Uh, and there's a couple like that. I'm with you, Dustin. That the, uh, the dart stuff is weird. It just kind of is an abrupt place to end. Um, I'm with you, Arthur. That I I do feel like it, it it's not staged. Uh, it affects me, but uh, it's just kind of. <sighs> lopsided in a way i don't know if it's the, the 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 editing choices or the amount of time spent on it but yeah it just it does feel shoehorned in after kind yeah. of, i mean the whole narrative is kind of wrapped up it's yeah. like oh one more thing yeah um i thought the the intro sequences were a little too cutesy at first but they really grew on me i liked them uh, they feel like uh you remember that movie away we go i'm aware of it i've never yeah, seen it, it, it yeah, with krasinski very... and um oh my Maya rudolph, Maya rudolph. Yeah. yeah i heard it's good it looks exactly like that cool okay that makes sense. I, it's good. It's very, very good. Uh, I thought one of the most interesting moments, actually, in the film comes very, very, very early, and it's the uh, waitress at the cafe that they photograph and put her up on this building, and she's not comfortable with it. Yeah. And they, they, they spend time talking to her. I kind of uh, wish they had spent more, but you know she probably had her fill of talking to them. But it was interesting for, you know, for them to be honest with people's reactions in that way, because just before that, we see... 
the old mining village and the, the woman whose photo they put on her house, she just is so moved. And that's, God, what a beautiful moment. Uh, and then to, to see that this is not the same experience for everybody when it happens was really cool. Well, that idea of immortalizing somebody who's not really you, know, you think about the uh the what the, the the naval guy who came back and kissed the girl you know yeah yeah I mean that's I mean immortalized forever and I'm sure you know both of them I've heard stories about uh, their thoughts they, on that and yeah. I can't remember but, I mean it's just one of those ideas I mean yeah you're gonna deal yeah. with that the rest of your life especially yeah. something so publicized for so. sure um, very interesting in that regard yeah uh, people uh, all the people come to that cafe and that uh, that spot want to take pictures with the giant version of her. Uh, I did go ahead, Arthur, when you said it, look at my top ten from 2017, which featured such wonderful films as Lady Bird and Get Out, Blade Runner 2020, and The Work. Did you say Blade Runner 2020? Yeah, I did. Oops. With Connie Chung? Yeah, I meant, I meant uh, Cyberpunk 2020. That's yes. what my brain was doing. Uh, and John Wick 2. So, yeah. No, I don't think there's going to be room for Faces Places on my top ten of 2017, but I do like it a whole damn lot. Uh uh, especially, especially the sequences with uh, the goat farmers and uh, my very favorite person on the entire planet, Pony, who is yeah. Pony is, great. is an incredible human being. It's a stage name. I saw. Uh, he's incredible. Uh, and, and you're right. Uh, as obnoxious as Jr. is, I think their interplay is very good. Uh, and as we, we discussed just a moment ago, Agnes is so sincere and so vulnerable that it, it is interesting to see her be frustrated in this way where she's just like, I've met you before, kid. Like, I've known men like you. Like, come off of it. Like, be a person. It's fine. Uh, But then the moment where they meet his grandmother who raised him, and she says, no, that's just him. Uh, That that was a moment that I liked JR a little bit more. He's holding his grandmother's hand the whole time. It's just like, all right. This kid's got a lot of love in his heart. Well, he's applying right? pressure so she knows what to say and what not to say. <clears throat> oh, that, no. That's what it was, yes. Oh. Totally manipulation. I don't want to believe that. No, 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 no. <laughs> I hey. do love the way they don't take Agnes too seriously because there's a way in which you like sort of bow down before this like cinema grape when yeah. they go to the old cinder block house. And he's like, there are so many beautiful houses in Normandy, and you've picked the ugliest one in the entire country. She wanted to try her idea. It was so funny. I want to say, I just hope if I, you know... Whatever great power out in the universe does this. If if I can make it to a hundred, I look as good as his grandma. His grandma no great. doubt, she looked Same, great. Dude. Same. She was. Yeah, I would. I wouldn't have pegged her over probably eighty five. Same. I would guess she's right around Agnes's age. Yeah, yeah she looked great. Um, and I th- I think uh, the last thing that I do want to say is uh, the goat farmers who are doing the sixty goat operation and don't cut their horns off. I think is uh, really just a, a metaphor for a lot of things, especially the sheep. Uh, the young ones moving the sheep dance on the outside and the old ones barely moving on the inside. Very, very interesting stuff yes. there on the farm. And I think is really... The, everything this movie has to say about the plight of the average person in France happens on those farms. And uh, I'm absolutely sure we will get to that anon. But yeah, it's a good movie. Uh, if you are wanting something exciting, this is not your speed. Uh, if you if you're wanting to while the day away, this is a good one. All right, well let's expand the spill. Let's fill this guy. Hang on, oh. I, I I I just want to. I'm curious. What is your favorite mural? Ooh, Ooh. I think it's the uh, dissenter, the remainer, the uh, the woman who would not leave the miners' hut. Yeah. Mm. Uh, dock workers' wise on the shipping containers. Oh, that's great too. Yeah, yeah. love that one. I think it's the dock workers, and I, I really do like the cafe as well. But I think the dock workers is the one for me. Yeah, my absolute favorite, without a doubt. Alrighty, well, let's expand the syllabus, guys. 
So, we have given ourselves this task. You are teaching some sort of course at some sort of university where they let us teach, um, which makes it dubious in its credentials from the get-go. Call that the school at Soft Knocks, baby. That's right. Um, and as a result, um, you are teaching this class, but you are going to be showing clips and pulling in other films from the rest of the world of cinema in order to teach this. So what movies would you choose? I go to you first, Dalton. What do you say? Oh, boy. Uh, so I, I know there's probably a lot of documentaries about documentaries, but I only know about the one, and it's Imaginary Witness, uh, which we watched nice. a long, long time ago, uh, way back in the early days of the show, and Dustin uh, was in a, a house ago. So it's it's been a minute. Uh, but I remember just really being taken with that movie, and the way that film discussed uh, not only cinema's power to give people uh, work, I mean, just the, the power of cinema to employ people uh, as a one of the few highly collaborative art forms, uh, but also the importance of documentary, the importance of documenting lives. Uh, and I think comparing that with Faces Places will be a, a really great thing to do. For those uh, of you who haven't listened to the episode or seen the movie, Imaginary Witness is a documentary about uh, the Holocaust in film, uh, both narrative and uh, documentary. And uh, basically just makes the case for when you make something, whether it is a documentary, when you make a film, whether it's narrative or documentary, you are creating uh, a witness that was not there. You, the audience. We, the audience, are now a, a witness, and yet we were not there. Uh, and you kind of create this weird paradoxical uh, time farce, and which is, you know, Agnes Vard is a deal, right? Is these things that are simultaneously uh, immortalized and yet completely... Uh, temporary. Uh, Jr. uses a specific word that I I can't recall which word he chooses to use. But ephemeral. Ephemeral. That was the word. Yeah, ephemeral is a good a good choice of word uh, for what he's going for. Um, but yeah, they're, they're playing with that, right? And you mentioned they did uh, Vard did some stuff with time earlier in her career. Yeah, huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I find that interesting. And, and again, it's just it's good context. It's good to think about the context of the big macro. You know, the Holocaust, one of the things that we really need to talk about uh, every day, forever, uh, including right now, especially right now. Uh, it's kind of been a shitty week, uh, weekend to y'all. Uh, yeah. I guess end of the week. Uh, if, if you're listening to this, uh, when it drops, we recorded it on March 16th. Uh, so there was uh, just a very un- unfortunate shooting in New Zealand by uh, yet another fucking internet Nazi. Uh, you know, it's it's fun. <clears throat> How when we talk about uh, the ways in which the Internet is used to radicalize uh, young Muslim men, we all freak out. But when uh, the Internet's used to radicalize white guys, we don't talk about it that much. But uh, I say that to say this. uh, As we are dealing with the fallout of yet another act of uh, racial racial and religious violence uh, in this world uh, perpetrated by uh, the peoples in power, it's important to, to talk about documenting uh because documenting is not always fun it is often a labor it it is often an undertaking uh, for the people involved and so i think using imaginary witness to remind you of that is is great is a great way to prime you for faces places which is just a much nicer way of of talking about this exact same thing um but whether it's a great tragedy or just the normal humdrummery of everyday life i think it's important to tell people stories uh, I'm not going to name any names, but listening to a podcast recently, I heard a very smart academic, a professor, say that uh, they hate movies, uh, that they think movies are dumb, including documentaries. Uh, 
because they're all a lie, and even documentaries have a point of view and stuff. And uh, yeah, that's the point. But uh, documenting these things is important, I think, uh, to just remind people what it's like to be a person. Uh, next up, we are going to take a look at uh, the Magnificast, believe it or not. This is a podcast that uh, I think you told me about, Dustin. Yes. Uh, normally, we don't advertise other people's stuff on here, uh, but you should go check it out. Uh, I, I like the Magnificast. It's uh, some, uh, some uh, Christian academic dudes who are also uh, real lefty commies. Uh, but I say that because I think once we get into theory here in a little bit, we're probably going to talk a lot about uh, labor and the ideas of labor and how power is gained through labor. And there's a lot of talk about labor and fulfillment in uh, Faces Places, kind of in the periphery. And uh, I, I think the Magnificast, uh, they had a very recent episode that was just kind of a uh, uh, Terms 101. What is socialism? What is capitalism? What is communism? What are these words we throw around a lot that nobody seems to have a square definition on? Um, so that's a good place to start just uh, for a vocabulary primer. Um, if you don't feel like reading a whole bunch of articles and just really want to give it to you some straight, some straight poop, uh, Magnificast was a very recent episode. I think it was just called Communism 101 or something like that. Nice. Next up, we are going to go ahead and watch uh, a David Fincher film. Uh, we try not to mention David Fincher a lot. Used to be because uh, there was a Fincher I was uh, obsessed with him and would have mentioned him all the time otherwise. And now it's just I've kind of outgrown him. But uh, I do still like uh, most of his films quite a whole lot, and this one's no exception. It is The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, a very different movie for uh, old, old Finch Magoo. Um, Finch Magoo? Finch Magoo, that's what I call him. I don't want to take him seriously, because I think he does that uh, well enough for everybody. Uh, I do like him a whole, whole lot, though. I just wish he'd take about 30% off the top there. Uh, but The Curious Case of Benjamin Button is a really great film about Look, talking about uh, age being a thing that separates us can be weird because, you know, pedophiles use that language sometimes. That said, it's important to remember that uh, you can uh, have a bond or a friendship with anybody. Uh, Correct. And, you know, we use age to put us in boxes the same way we use race to put us in boxes sometimes. And uh, I, I think J.R. and Agnes's friendship is really kind of beautiful and wholesome. And I, I think Benjamin Button, while... Uh, being about a romantic relationship, does, I think, deal with the ways in which we just experience separation from other people, uh, yeah. and specifically through through age. And, you know, the ways we try to say, well, this person doesn't know anything because they're younger, or this person's uh, crusty old shit because they're super old, or any number of variations in between. <clears throat> so I think that's going to be really good in that regard. Plus, I haven't seen Harold and Maude, so I can't recommend that. Uh, last but not least, I'm going to go with the Albert Brooks film Defending Your Life because it is also about a guy who uh, takes himself a little too seriously, uh, meeting a, a very charming woman that kind of reminds him to chill the hell out and just kind of follow his heart and it'll work out. Um, it sounds a little bit more Manic Pixie Dream Girl uh, in theory than it really is, but uh, if you haven't seen Defending Your Life, uh, it's a really, really solid movie. It's a... Uh, kind of a proto-good place. Uh, Albert Brooks dies and meets Meryl Streep in the afterlife, and they hang out. And, uh, he has good to, afterlife. He has to watch, yeah, right? He nice. has to watch scenes from his life where he's being a schmuck and defend himself. Uh, and turns out Meryl Streep lived a great life and was a great person, so her, her uh, defining moments uh, highlight reel is fantastic, and so she's having a great time in the, uh, the way station of purgatory. Uh, so yeah, that's that's going to be my syllabus. I think it's going to help you think about just some really fun uh, connections uh, within Faces Places and remind you that even though this is kind of a sleepy movie, even though you could look at it as homework, that there is a lot of really interesting things there about life and living and just regular people's. Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. What do you say, Arthur? How would you expand the syllabus? 
I, I think a lot about memories and I think about a lot about reflections. Um, so I've got a couple of picks, um, maybe three uh, here. Uh, I, I want to kind of stick in this the same realm uh, of Varda, and I want to say uh, Chris Marker's uh, Saint Soleil and uh, La Jetée. Mm, uh, okay, as yeah, well. yeah. Uh, La Jetée would be on my list as well. Yeah, uh, just the playing a lot with memory and, and photographs and, and imagery in that way. And also, I was thinking a lot about Sensile because I believe it's that one that has, there's a sequence where uh, he's filming in San Francisco, re- retracing the, the steps of Vertigo. Um, and so I think both of those are kind of, they're, they're playing a bit with the documentary form, but also a lot with imagery and, and memory and, and those sorts of themes. Uh, so I'd go there. But also just to think of memory and to think of reflection and an age separation. I think of Big Fish. I think of Tim Burton's Big oh, Fish. Oh, yeah. Nice. Storytelling, uh, too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, which is one I think I'd pair here as well to kind of flesh out some of those themes and, and maybe get in there a little little farther. The rare Burton film that I unequivocally like. Yeah. yeah. like that movie a lot. I, I, I think it's one of his highest points, and so uh, that's definitely one I, I would probably round out the syllabus. I couldn't think of a lot of stuff when I was watching this. I was kind of struggling to come up with anything really concrete that I wanted to... To mention, and I, time got away from me, but those are some, I think, solid picks that would uh, kind of continue the conversation that, that starts and faces places. Absolutely. I think those are some great picks. Yeah, I, I had a hard time with connections on this one. It, n- nothing really immediately sprang to mind. I kind of had to get tenuous on mine. All right. What's our uh, what's our experimental short film of the week? Well, okay. There's Well, there's not only one, I guess, and that's, well, you've already named it. It's La Jetée. Yeah. And so, and that's because of its use of still images, you know, the use of still photography mm-hmm. and the way in which uh, this film is obsessed with that in terms of memory mm-hmm. and the sort of 12 Monkeys-esque, well, it is 12 Monkeys. Yeah, it's, uh, it's the thing that 12 Monkeys is based on. Um, so it's got all of that kind of going for it. Uh, but it doesn't have Bruce Willis. Would, well, correct. Or Brad Pitt. Um, perhaps for bonus. Uh, nonetheless, um, <sighs> you don't like Brad Pitt's uh, scenery chewing in that movie? No. Teach I don't like that movie. Moving right That's along, not though. Great. Um, but um, part of the reason why is Chris Marker is another one of those left bank filmmakers, and so there's a historical connection as well to mm. that moment in which Agnes Varda is making that film. Uh, the other film um, from Alain, Alain René is uh, Je T'aime, Je T'aime, uh, which is my love, my love, I think in English, and it is a, a time travel story, uh, much like La Jetée, mm. and it's got this sort of causal loop that this, the characters caught in, love that. and wrestling with those questions of memory and causality and uh, mortality. All of those things are tied up in, in an interesting way in a more narrative kind of sequence, although very, very experimental mm-hmm. uh, because Rene. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I thought about Hiroshima Mona more because it does have a similar narrative structure to uh, Cleo from 9 to 5, or from 5 to 7, mm-hmm. but I'm going to go with no. Um, for more Varda, though, I do think Cleo from 5 to 7 would be worth checking out, um, just if you're into this and into those same sort of moments. Uh, but I don't know if I'd necessarily use that film in class if I'm already using Faces Places. Gotcha. Um, the other thing I would use is uh, the Banksy-directed film Exit Through the Gift Shop. Okay. Uh, because, again, street art and uh, what does it mean to have a persona and to be a person. and uh, What does it mean to not be a person if you're just a name? Exactly. Exactly. And so what do you do with that and the sort of interface of all that? Shepard Ferry um, and his art makes a pretty big um, uh, appearance in that film as well. Mm. And so I think that's worthwhile. But, uh, you yeah. guys, Banksy poops. Y- yeah. Banksy pees and poops. I don't believe it. I, I well, I'm Banksy, Banksy do. We're all Banksy. Do you think Banksy's a collective? Pixar it didn't happen. Arthur, you said yeah? Well, yeah why not? Yeah. I don't know. 
Banksy's a weirdo. He absolutely, absolutely. Or are they? Um, I've got Wallace. Do we peace. know Banksy's a he? Banksy gendered we himself. Know. I don't know. Uh, yes, I think he is gendered as a dude. Okay. Um, I have his book Wall and Peace, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, just a bunch of his installations and stuff he's done, like at the Palestinian yeah. um, separation wall and whatnot. It's, it's fantastic stuff. Hey, uh, let's talk about uh, some some dirt, huh? Some dirt. You want to get nasty? Let's get nasty. Let's get down to business. Yes. Hey, so uh, those formal stuff, documentaries are, are uh, a hoot, huh? Yeah, I like documentaries, and they don't get nearly enough love. We don't talk about them a lot. Yeah, I, you know, I was, I watched a lot of documentaries last year. I normally don't. You did? I watched, I watched more than few, I normally yeah, do. Yeah, it's not normally a medium. The nonfiction film does not get a lot of love. No, and, and it's it's harder to talk about, right? But I think in a year with, uh, I mean, I, I think a mainstream appeal in 2018 mm-hmm. was huge with um, Won't You Be My Neighbor and Free Solo, which were both mm-hmm. pretty big, you know, RBG. players. Yeah, three identical strangers. Which and I right now already. we have Apollo shirkers, Eleven. Shirkers, shirkers, shirkers. Well, we were talking about right. ones that made a lot of money. Oh, shirkers documentary. Uh, oh, shirk- yeah, shirkers. Duh. Yeah, but yeah, shirkers is quite good by all accounts. Yeah. Amazing. It's good. Um, but yeah, Apollo Eleven's right now playing. So I mean, it, it's kind of seeing this resurgence within mainstream theatrical play, which, which is, is really cool. I, I before last year, I don't know the last time I saw a documentary screen at a commercial cinema in Oklahoma City that wasn't the Museum of Art. It's not often. Yeah, it's, no. it's very rare. Within the last uh, 18 months. Yeah, so I, I think that's really cool. And, yeah. and so, uh, but uh, it's it's fun. Uh, I think uh, you can get, you get interesting stories that you don't normally get. And, and to see documentary filmmakers play with more narrative film tropes and incorporate those, I think of something like Dear Zachary, uh, Three Identical Strangers, which have these very sort of thriller-esque suspense uh, layouts that really help drive the impact. The Cove would be an example of that sort of like Bourne movie kind of documentary. And I think there's something here going on about are are you making, are you telling a story about something that's already happened or are you telling a story about something in progress? Because you mentioned, uh, Dustin, all all, all your picks really kind of dealt with time in an interesting way. And I wonder if that's because when you're making, you know, if if you're a documentary filmmaker, your subject is moving Mm -hmm. apart from you. If you're making a narrative film, you control time. You get to say what happens when. If you're making a documentary, you don't. You're just kind of deciding after the fact what happened, uh, which is where we get, you know, weird films like, uh, oh, my God, Errol Morris's Wormwood, which is really a miniseries or a short series, whatever you want to call it. But that has a lot of scripted moments. Uh, so I, I find it's interesting that uh, documentarians, especially when they're telling true stories, go to reenactment so often. Uh, when identical three identical strangers, Arthur, you mentioned, yeah, it's got a lot of twists and revelations to your Zachary same because they're laying out a story that has already concluded by the time they've started telling it. Um, they're just kind of letting this larger story breathe. With something like Faces Places, um, you're just there. Yeah, uh, and, and you're, you're there, and you're there in a very interesting sort yeah. of way because Varda and Jr. are in the movie, um, which is not always the case in documentary. They are not film. hiding that they are part of the picture, and so you sort of had this postmodern move, and this begins in the '90s. I think about the Nick Broomfield documentaries, especially like his Eileen Warnos work and uh, Werner Herzog's Grizzly Man. What do you mean my film was a man and the beast come together and they find that they are not so much different and yet we will always be separate from nature. And nature sometimes eats you. Yes, true. Cruel is the bear who lives in the woods and the shits behind the trees. (laughs) 
Are they cruel? Is there uh, cruelty re- requires intention? Uh, intention is a tricky beast because hell is paved with the road of good deeds. <laughs> I'm having a lot of fun doing Werner Herzog today. Are, Hi. Are, are you sure? Yeah, I'm having uh, a great time. <laughs> so anyway, you're talking about this move in the '90s to uh, put put your face more out in front of the documentary, and that's a way in which uh, it says there's intent here. Right? There's intent here, and it is making sure that this the, is not reality. I did make a movie. This is a movie, and it is a thing that I am drawing. It is a it is a thing created by a person, and uh, Varda very much. Um, Andrea Struck, do you the the camera stilo? Do you remember that essay way yeah. back when? Nope. Yeah. Um, this idea that I don't think it's, it's sort of that. like a, a progenitor to the auteur theory that okay. when the filmmaker makes a film, it's like a writer taking up the pen that the that the camera itself is the pen of the filmmaker. Yeah. And uh, so it is my thoughts that are put, being put together, especially in like the editing bay. Yeah, yeah. That's where this all happens. And so the decision by Broomfield or Herzog or Varda to do that is to draw attention to the apparatus that we are making a thing and we're mm. making choices uh, with this particular thing to give you a certain set of experiences. Well, and I think it, it also helps to underline the moments when the unpredictable or the serendipitous happen, right? Right. Because if we show you all the strings, you know know when life has intervened on on the work right uh you know when the universe uh writ large has kind of hijacked the narrative of the Raises documentary the stakes exactly yeah. there, there are like two better moments of this in a different agnes varda film where um she uh forgets to turn the camera off these are both from the gleaners and i mm-hmm. and she forgets to turn the camera off and she has this entire conversation while the lens cap sort of dances in front of the lens awesome and uh so she and she calls it the dancing lens cap sequence and as she's finding these people who are finding food and trash cans and finding leftovers and fields and that and, and, and those kind of things she finds this like very very ancient potato that is also oh they began, reference this in that, that, that places that yeah there's a reference to it and yeah. it's, it's also sprouted greenery on mm-hmm. top of it. it's like one of the most iconic images from uh the gleaners and i um the, the movie opens up with her like with her hand closing in uh the iris on uh moving uh semi-trucks mm. as she's driving down the road. That's also from Faces Places. Mm. Uh, not Faces Places, excuse me, The Gleaners and I. Mm. And so th- those kind of moves and moments do bring in um, the sort of surrealist um, idea of, uh, what is it, chance. Uh, just uh, the, yeah. the sort of uh, uh, amazing chance, this, this, uh, the serendipitous chance that, that, that works its way into a film um, that I, I find pretty fascinating. The Pearl Button does a similar kind of thing. Yeah, it's 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 just important to to note. Uh, while we're still talking about documentary and form, I did want to still visit again uh, this idea of uh, we don't get it here in faces places. But I just wondered if you had any thoughts on it, Dustin. You mentioned a lot of uh, a lot of avant garde stuff, a lot of documentary stuff about uh, time loops and the experience of time and living in time. Uh, why do you th- why do you think all these all these artsy fartsies are uh, talking about time? Is it because they're a bunch of drug doing degens? What's the deal? I think Agnes is talking about it because um, her time is running out. Mm, well, that's a very good point. Yeah, it's the end of the road. But yeah. you, you mentioned even early in her career, she's well, still like dealing Cleo with from it. Five to Seven it is a story about a woman waiting for a biopsy's results. You know? And is this something that uh, Varda went through in her own life? Do we know? I don't know anything about her mm. having any sort of uh, breast cancer yeah. or issues around well, that kind of thing. But even if she didn't experience it's it herself, a I'm, it's female. a common female experience. I'm right. sure she's considered how she would feel if such a thing happened to her. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so that kind of wrestling with just 
this, what do you do, and how do you live in that moment? And the fact that it is titled, I mean, it's, it's two hours of this woman's life, and uh, that's how the film is shot. Is this 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 very very discreet moment of her life as she's waiting for, preparing for, preparing others in her life for, d- disclosing, not disclosing mm-hmm. that information. All of that is kind of tied in. Uh, to this uh, obsession with what's going on as the thing happens, I, I think about Nick Broomfield's um, second documentary. Now, I don't know the titles. I'm not. I'm, I'm doing a terrible job here as a host um, of his Eileen Warno stuff. Mm-hmm. But the second film is leading up to her execution, and so you've got this sort of you know portrait of a serial killer the, these, the first yeah. film, and then you've got the second one uh, in which uh, he is participating in the trial. He is giving testimony. Well, because this is this is where. Eileen goes a little bit off the roller coaster, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, and I think that has a lot to do. I just want to throw this out there. I mean, there's a lot been made of these Nick Broomfield documentaries. Uh, she's having a hard time. She in is. that second one, I think, because the first one's the one where she's kind of no shit, just telling him what happened, and the second one's the one where she's spinning yarns a lot more. Yeah, and uh, I feel like that reckoning with uh, impending death will do that to you. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's that's a big part of what Varda's doing is that she's trying yeah. to uh, memorialize. She's trying to embalm memory. To an extent, uh, by documenting those things in the cinematic image, and then she's also sort of just wrestling with the fact that at some point the spool of film is going to run out for her, mm-hmm. and uh, that she'll shoot the last thing she's ever going to shoot someday. Yeah, and that's especially some- even if she lives to be, uh, you know, lives another twenty, twenty five, thirty years, her eyesight's going. Mm-hmm. You kind of, you know, that's a pretty important tool for a filmmaker. It seems like it'd be vital, yeah. And so you, you know, make the argument it's not necessary but vital is potential and and that's sort of where i want to bring andre bazan back into this as we were sort of goofing oh yeah what what cinema is what what is uh, he talks about the ontology of the photographic image and the central part of the argument that he makes is that the the very being of the photographic image is to embalm for perpetuity Mm. the image of whatever you're looking at. Yeah, a person, a place, an event, an idea. A muscle car pulling a bank safe down the streets of Rio de Janeiro, whatever. Whatever, whether it happened or not, right? Yeah. Um, And so, you know, talking about how, like, Louis XIV didn't bother to have himself embalmed because he was happy enough with the portrait that was done in sort of a realist fashion Mm. is an illustration that he draws forward. And I could have drawn from the fact that they did embalm Lincoln, and it totally changed the way we treat uh, the deceased in this country. Yeah, and, and and but well, he probably wouldn't know the American history probably well enough. To do well, that. he should have been more well read. Ooh, I'm French. I'm so educated. I know everything about everything. Wow, sounds like a real American over there. I'm just so sick of these fucking Europeans acting like they aren't racist too. They act so high and mighty like they're the only good white people. Yeah, right. You invented racism. You know who invented the slave trade? The fucking Dutch. But all we talk about is their wooden shoes and their chocolate. Like, they're all... Sorry. Hi, I'm back. Um, I've seen La Havre. I think uh, French are racist, too. They Um, definitely are. Yeah, for sure. 100%. Yeah, I saw Girlhood. The French are racist. Crazy They are mean to people. Yeah. Uh, anyway, sorry, you're, you're right, Bazan doesn't have to know about American history, it's no, fine. Nonetheless, but this idea that that's what the image is attempting to do, but what the film does in contrast to Bazan's image is using these photographs and then turning them into these pasted murals, mm. which don't last. Which is what J.R. and yeah, Agnes are doing the, the, now. Their, their very ephemerality is even the cinematic image doesn't go on forever. Well, J.R. says that at some point, yeah. right? I deal with the ephemeral. Right. Yeah. yeah. 
And so, I mean, it's, I mean, obviously, uh, the parasol girl or, um, our one remainer at the, uh, miners. Those camp, will last a bit longer. They'll last a bit longer. But the great image is the image of, um, Guy Bourdin, or Guy Bourdin, if you want to do it in a French accent. Um, Guy Bourdin. Guy Bourdin mm. in the, uh, Québécois. In the uh, little corner of the, uh, German bunker that fell off the cliffs at Normandy. Um, so cool. It lasts a day. It's so cool, though. And it, and she says it's a great memorial for this guy who's dead. This guy who was a great photographer, yeah. who she loved and cared about deeply. I was surprised they didn't talk about this more. Uh, you know, my my country's invasion by Nazis was much more slow and insidious, and uh, you know, less brute force. Well, I saw Captain America. The Nazis started by invading their own country. That's what they do. That's true. That is how they work, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But anyway, you would think the French would talk more because it's such a traumatic part of their history, not just the war itself, but the fallout of the war and the treatment of uh, unwilling collaborators after the war. Um, it's very, very interesting uh, that they don't talk more about the idea of putting this this beautiful young Frenchman uh, on this piece of uh, bullshit, brutalist uh, fascism that's been knocked onto the beach. It's kind of a, a really beautiful moment and i like that they didn't say anything i was just interesting to me that that they didn't right because uh, there, there is something kind of triumphant about that image to me well there's a bit of history that remains there's a bit of history that is um undissolvable mm. and then there is the individual lives of human beings yeah. as they uh weave in and out of those moments of history that is absolutely water soluble uh, yeah. or time soluble in this case yeah and uh that's how it dissolves right mm. And so, you know, I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a beauty to that, and there's also a deep melancholy kind of sadness. Yeah, because the the beauty and and joy of a single human life, uh, it doesn't last nearly as long as the uh, the crushing yoke of uh, oppression, which uh, is much harder to uh, to erase. So the, here's the other thing that Bazan that raised. sounded way more pretentious than I meant it to. No, I think it's good. Well, and yeah, pretentious. I, we, yeah, but I mean, it's it's interesting <laughs> to think about. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's fucking. Yeah, it's a yeah. bummer. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing over here. Yeah, um, the other well, I, I play. I've done too much accent work today, Arthur. Now it's all broken. I don't remember how I talk normally. He's affecting a persona. <sighs> now who's the schmuck? Yeah, Jr. Damn it. So the other thing that um, wait, huh? Did Agnes shoot Jr. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh wow! Oh man, nobody's watched the show Dallas in thirty years, and yet that joke still plays, which is incredible. I know they did a reboot or whatever, but that's so. Uh, pop culture is a weird one. Good morning. Uh, you got anything else you want to say about the form of documentary, Dustin? I, I do this, and, and the question about realism and the photographic image, because um, one of the distinctions that Bazan makes is uh, there is both the uh, the poetic realism and there is also the sort of psycholo- or what he says a spirit he calls it spiritual rather than poetic mm. spiritual reality of an image which uh requires anti-realism you're talking about the ecstatic truth the idea that you must lie to be honest hide to me again from the Herzog. and then there is what he calls psychological realism which is just simply the brutal fact mm. right like the idea that you can take a fur- uh, a photograph uh, of yes, what- like Dieter's time in the POW camp Yes, or a photograph of Guernica, right, mm-hmm. um, which is this amazing, uh, incredibly awful uh, moment in which uh, the German Blitzkrieg army came through and bombed the city in Spain. And then you can look at um, Pablo Picasso's mural, which is anti-realist in the extreme. Wait, did the Germans bomb it? I thought uh, it was part of the Spanish Civil War. It was, and the Germans did it. Gotcha, as 
as part of the larger support of Franco. Gotcha. Because you know, fascists they all stick together. Mm, they do, don't they? They are on a team. Well, as long as it's convenient. Yes, yeah, they'll let uh, they'll let anybody on their time their team for a little bit. Right. You think they liked the Japanese? No, they no. didn't like the Spanish. They're a little brown for them, but they were going. Go yeah, ahead they'll let anybody them. on their team for a little bit. Yeah, that's how they work. Grr. But that idea of trying to achieve that, and what does this? Yeah, the Pablo Picasso painting is. Uh, I remember seeing that real young, and uh, it's haunting, man. It's desperately arresting yeah. because it, it it achieves the spiritual truth, the spiritual sort of reality of that moment, rather than just because it can't be articulated. Well, you can look at a photograph of a bombed out city. And it looks like every other photograph of every other bombed out city. Yeah, and, and and so my question is, what are they doing with this documentary? Are they able to both achieve um, because of their artifice and their anti-realism? Are they able to achieve both a spiritual reality and a psychological reality? Oh hell yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think it all comes back to the moment at the cafe for me. Uh, the the woman saying, "I don't like this." Yeah, they didn't plan on that. You don't plan on having somebody tell you your art project makes them uncomfortable, um, even though we often talk about the art, uh, art being uh, something that's supposed to make you ponder. As somebody at the uh, the acid factory mentions uh, about the the the, the uh, class photo, as the, as they call mm-hmm. it, at one point of all the workers in this tunnel, and uh, he he kind of comments on it. It's like, yeah, oh, it's kind of weird, but yeah, art's supposed to make you think, I guess. Oh no, the the guy that I'm thinking of is. Uh, uh, referencing uh, one of the pictures of uh, somebody on a house, I think. I think mm. it's the maybe the picnic they had for the abandoned houses. I can't remember. Yeah. But uh, that that guy is kind of like, says this really beautiful thing about the idea of photography. And then like the, walks he's, off. He's like, all right, I'll see you guys later. Bye. <laughs> it was so good. Uh, really, really incredible. Um, but yeah, I think absolutely these, the, the, the artifice in those moments where they're like, hanging out in Agnes's apartment. She's petting her cat, and they're just chit-chatting. Like, that's very staged, where they've clearly, like, written a script for how... And, and again, the the opening of the movie has a, a couple of jokes uh, about these staged scenes of how they could have met. They could have met, but yeah. we didn't. Yeah, yeah. these fake meet-cutes. And uh, really, it just turns out they were both fans of each other, and JR happened to be like, hey, can I photograph you? Uh, which I think is a really cute story, that these, these yeah. two people liked each other's work and just never bothered to get in contact, and no one of them said, why not? Mm-hmm. And I think documenting uh, the truth when they can and pointing out the artifice when they can it, it successfully allows them to do that. So what is the spiritual truth of this film? I think that's something kind of hard to articulate, isn't it? That's sort of the point. We all die. We all die. I mean, I think mortality. I think also friendship lasts longer. I think living your life is more important than memorializing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, again, the, yeah. the woman in the cafe, uh, she doesn't love it, but you know who does? Her kids. And yeah. there's this kind of quiet, mo- unacknowledged moment of, like, joy in this this woman who says, I don't really care for this, but, man, her her kids sure think it's cool that their mom's on this wall. And it's kind of this interesting dichotomy. And, and I think it kind of gets at that, yeah, uh, we're all going to die, and maybe we should focus more on living instead of pondering that we're all going to die. But... Somebody needs to know that I was here. Somebody yeah. needs to know that I was the last holdout in these uh, miners' houses. Mm-hmm. And even that idea, she, uh, Varda expresses it when I think it's right after the first town, and her and Jr. are talking. He's like, "Are we going to go ahead and, you know, are we going to plan out the rest of this trip?" She's like, "Nah, I just want to do it." And, and I think that lends to some of that as well, just living and then just chance going was always my best assistant. Yeah. I think is what yeah. she says. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So yeah. yeah, the marvelous chance, right? Like yeah. the surrealists. And I think that's but that's the point of the spiritual truth. It's you can't really name the spiritual truth of something if you think you can then you probably didn't get the spiritual truth because right. it's always more 
uh, nuanced. It's always requires a lot more language than any. Then it requires more feel. You have to impart more feeling than language ever could. Right, uh, and that's kind of the point. Well, all right. Um, Let's get to some ideology shit. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Do so. Well, I mean, that's just now. Now. Now that we're here, uh, maybe we should talk about uh, how people uh, experience their labor, huh? And uh, just living your life, speaking up. Uh, let's talk about goat farmers. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a, a a form of goat farm production, cheese production, that looks at the animal as um, a product, as a product that produces further products. And there is another in which we say we care for the goats, and the goats goats care for us. Goats are supposed to have horns, and they're supposed to be goats, and they should have balls on the ends of their horns that make clown sounds, That's which so is good. brilliant. And they're gonna fight because people fight, goats mm-hmm. fight. You know what else they do? Make cheese. Yes. Go with it. And also have sex constantly. Do they really? Oh, goats. Yeah, goats be pumping. Goats be pumping? All the time. Goats be pumping. No kidding. Well, that's where the idiom go at like a couple of goats comes from. Ah, of course. Yes, yes, that old idiom that we all know. I have witnessed more than one goat self-filate to ejaculation. No. In person. God. It is See, hold on. This is why this is why we should all still be growing up on farms because farms prevent parents from having to explain sex cuz the farm animals do it for you. Do it like they do on the Discovery Channel. That's right, baby. Mm-hmm. We ain't nothing but mammals. Yeah, I I I've been a witness. Well, goats can self-suck. There you go. They can. You heard it here first on and the Good Trash Genre cast. They do. Hell yeah, baby. Milking goats don't so much. Yeah. Because they're girls. Well, yeah. there's a lot more technique involved. I don't, I don't think animals have figured out cunnilingus yet. Uh, <laughs> bonobos probably have, actually, now that I say that. Uh, I don't know. I'm not Dolphins, an expert. I think. Dude, I, don't, I think they've got some like weird internal stuff going on. What? They've got like a, a prehensile penis, I, too. I think dolphins are the only other organism on the planet that have sex just for pleasure. That's true. Uh, no, bonobos, too. Bonobos, too, I yeah. guess. Yeah. I think chimps do, too. They're just, you know, they like fighting more. <laughs> Well, I mean, there's a connection. <laughs> well, that, yeah, that's why, we're always, that's why we always be talking about chimps and bonobos. Uh, I just think it's very interesting. This conversation that's so much. Insane. No, it's okay. I got this it. This episode's I'm, been off the rails for a hi, while. Welcome to uh, the Good Trash Animal Cast, where we talk about uh, biology and uh, zoology. Marabi. <laughs> What is happening? I'll just go ahead and stop there. I'm a radio that you're pausing. Let's just go ahead and stop there. I, I think it's very interesting to spend so much time on how people make their money in this movie. Yeah. And I think the, the goat yeah. farms are kind of most emblematic of it to me just because we spend the most time there talking about the work, talking mm-hmm. about the process. Uh, we don't use machines. Uh, honestly, it was noisy and weird, and then we had to clean them. It was easier to do it by hand. If you're not treating them as a product and trying to make as much cheese as you can, it's Oh, it's just way easier to milk them by hand, uh, that kind of stuff. And, and again, as I mentioned earlier, the, the uh, just as we had this the shooting this week, the other big news is that kids across the America went on strike from school this week and said, "Did your kids do that? Did they do this this no. in Why are your sons cowards?" I don't think I knew about it. No, oh, well, well, I didn't I, even know about it till I heard it on the news that day. There was a school walkout uh, oh. in parts of the nation uh, where kids were like, "Hey, grownups, we're going to stop working because what's the point of us going to school if you can't make sure there's a planet here in fifty years?" It was a climate change thing. Nice. Yeah. I wish they had. Yeah. If I had known about it, I would have told them to. Yeah. Yeah. You should have. Yeah. Uh, that's all right. Be you better. Get the next one. I can't keep up with everything. It's that's fair. You got a lot going on, but uh, again, it's it's interesting though that we we get we have this very literal <laughs> expression of this in the animal kingdom with the the way sheep's congregate together. 
Uh, sheeps kind of move as a flock, and it's the younger sheep that keep the flock moving. Mm-hmm. Uh, the old sheep just go in the middle to die and be to be taken care of and to keep, you know, keep a found, strong foundation there. And uh, it's interesting that uh, humans can't get together that same way, right? Right. With the, where the older humans insist they know what's best, and we're gonna we're gonna keep the flock moving. It's uh, it's not always the case, man. I trust way more young people than I do old people. You know what I'm saying? Uh, well, it depends on the young person and the old person. Well, no, I mean, look, I, I trust the young person to be a fuck up, but uh, mm-hmm. I just still trust them. I trust that, uh, or or to trust them to have good new ideas that might not be great in execution, but at the very least, they're you know looking at the stars. What I trust is any person of any age who cares about the flock, okay, and us together. Because I was thinking, hell yeah, about, I'll take that. All okay, because right. Agnes Varda, I I trust her as an old person. You're to help absolutely us. right. You're and absolutely right. Jack Wagon in New Zealand was 28. That's a good point. And, uh, That's true. And so it, it, you've you've got to sort of yeah. balance between all. I that. Can meanwhile, oh no, we won't name any specific politicians on this podcast. It's not that kind of show. Never mind. Uh, we won't we won't go down they go suck. down that road. Uh, by and large, but it's interesting. We we get the goats, but then we get uh, the salt mines, which seems everybody there just seems sad. Mm-hmm. Everybody and the guy that's talking about retiring and has no idea what he's going to do with his life because all he's known oh is the, my the hydrochloric acid factory. It's a, it's I've never bit. been retired before. I don't know what I'm going to do. It's a great unknown. And then we get the the dock workers where the labor of dock work, there's no, you know, with the, the cheesemakers, they see the fruits of their labor. It is these goats and their ha- the happiness of these goats and it's this cheese that they're making, right? And uh, I would say that the, the couple managing 60 goats seem a lot happier than the one guy tending to 2,000 acres, even though he sees the results of his life. We talk a lot about when we talk about the theory of work and the theory of labor and, and economics. We talk about the worker not feeling divorced from their work or alienated from their, their work and the fruits of their labor. I would say that's not entirely the case because we've got this farmer who is very proud of the 2,000 acres he tends to, but seems to have a great well of sadness about being alone. And he yeah. says, I like being alone. I believe him when he says that. I mm-hmm. absolutely believe he likes working alone. But he admits that, yeah, the tractor does the job. I'm just hanging out, man. Well, and JR sort of says the opposite. He says, I work with a team all day, and I'm happy to go home, too. Yeah. Because I go home to be by myself. Yeah. It's, right. you know, we the grass is, you, you want the thing that you don't get. Because right. the work is always the thing that you have to do. Mm-hmm. It will always be the thing that you have to do. Unless you, uh, are, you know, are this... This French hippie couple that uh, you know raises goats by themselves, and then we get to the dock workers at the Can end. Can we I be wanna... a French hippie couple and raise goats? I mean, nothing would make me happier, honestly, after <laughs> watching this movie. Uh, but again, to circle back to the dock workers, they don't see their their labor, but there's like this sense of legacy, right? Their their family they come from dock working families. It is a I think it's the, this way in the United States as well. It is a very heavily like you are born into dock work. Yeah. Um, well, I think like coal mining. Well, yeah. I think a lot of manual those manual labor. Well, know, and I think you that's work be- the docks, you work the yeah. mines, you work the but I think it's because the oil fields field of Oklahoma work the farm. Yeah. Well, yeah. the oil fields of Oklahoma throws a wrench in my theory, which was I think these jobs, these labor jobs, have a strong sense of uh, union uh, mm. because they have to, especially dock workers, they have to fight to get ships into their port. They have to fight over getting time. Uh, the, the getting paid is a struggle. Uh, getting paid in the oil fields not a struggle, uh, except you know when the oil company doesn't want you to drill. Hmm. Right, unionized comrades. You have nothing to lose but your chains. Quit letting them give you uh, money to buy an F three fifty, and then leaving you broke and uh, needing government assistance afterwards. Do better. You deserve better. 
that story was so specific, and I and yet it. totally vague, right? Well, well, no, no, my dad, it happened. I dozens, absolutely, dozens happened. of people. It's happened to man. Yeah, dozens. It happens all the time in uh, the oil and natural gas, all the way production. down to the F three fifty. Yeah, wow. man. Very specific. Yeah. It fucking happens every single day, uh, and that's a problem. And again, I think that there's something beautiful about the dock workers who kind of love their life. Their wives are also like employing the docking industry, and there there is a sense of pride of like, no, this. I forget what harbor they're in, but it's a very famous French harbor. And they're like, this is a big deal. Like we we are the people that bring stuff in in and out of this country, and there there is such a sense of pride. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just interesting the way they engage with pride and work. And I think uh, Jr. As you mentioned, Dustin talks about being a collaborator. Uh, so much of the labor we see throughout this film is the idea of working with other people, and that's and uh, or with the farmer not working with people, and just how we try to find meaning in what we do to pass the time honestly well even the farmer was collaborative at one point yeah he mentions that he used to have three or four hands yeah and now he's all by himself it's uh it's very interesting and Um, one was a scarecrow and one was a lion mm -hmm, and one was mm -hmm. a tin man oh is that right yeah do you have a little dog too um yeah and and toto too uh we, we haven't talked a whole lot we 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 paid a wind farm we paid lip service to it (laughs) a wind farm farm? you are a beautiful (laughs) man adore you uh do we want to talk about uh all these brooding young men that come into agnes varda's life at all and how she tolerates these dumb boys like jlg and jr yeah i mean they are there and they are that's the artsy fartsy type for you well and and then they're users right let's not paint too with too broad of a brush there does seem to be some gender dynamics at play here says huh? the Correct. man who slandered an entire people who, the French? The Dutch. Oh, the Dutch. Well, look, they also have, they legalized marijuana and sex work way before anybody else. So, you know, they got some things figured out. But then also their sex work got, like, infiltrated with black market trade, too. So who knows what the right thing to do is, man. We're all just trying our best. Uh, <laughs> to the good trash xenophobe cast. Well, no, Whoa. no. The good trash. I have no idea what the right thing to do is some days cast. We're all just trying, man. Uh it's interesting, right? That that Varda. Do we do we want to attribute this to the way society tells a male artist how they're supposed to be? Is do we think there's anything there? I mean, do we think there's any socialization shit here, or do we just think that these these are two quirky guys who happen to, you know, uh, obviously Jr. has a reason to want to be. He's a young French artist. Of course, he is like interested in Godard and Agnes Varda. Of course, he is. Right. Of course, he wants to be in their lives. Though it makes perfect sense that he was the one to reach out to Agnes, and not the other way around. But it's just interesting to me that he's so of a type with uh, Jean-Luc Godard, and yet he does see the things he he gets to see firsthand how being that kind of guy can rub somebody you care about the wrong way. And yeah, he, he does it early in the film. They get into a fight. So I'm just I want to think about this. I, I think there's a sense in which um, the male artist, and this is sort of where toxic masculinity makes its you know sort of four way into this, as opposed to like the male athlete or stockbroker or something like that, where it's very competitive and it's about winning. It's 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 about making the hustle. Who who can care the least hard? Who can care the least hard, and who can use whoever they need to use? To get what they need to do, mm, yeah. right? Um, there's a great Adam Driver movie called "We While We Were Young," uh, which also features uh, yeah, it's a Noah Baumbach movie, yeah, right? Yeah, New Zealand. Uh, what, what was his name? Zoolander. What's Ben his name? Stiller? Ben Stiller. I couldn't think of You're his name. Adorable. Uh, yeah, um, I think Amanda Seyfried's in it too. Uh, Naomi Watts. 
I'm trying to think of the younger. Uh, oh, maybe a Man of Seaford. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Yeah, yeah I've right. heard this is a very good movie. It's great. It's a really, really solid movie. Um, Charles Grodin's in it. Oh, oh. Beethoven fame. Um, huh. And um, he, no he's, kidding. He's really, really solid. Actually. Anyway, so what, what's this movie got to well, do with what we're talking about? It, it, it's sort of this intergenerational sort of play, right? So Ben Stiller is this older documentary, and I really wish I'd thought of it for um, expanding the syllabus. We'll go ahead and t- tack it on uh, post mortem. Why not? Um, so he's this older documentary uh, filmmaker. Um, his uh, father-in-law has a very, very successful filmmaker. It's like different generations of documentary filmmaking uh, throughout the uh, course of the thing. And uh, Stiller is again this sort of. Late Xer, you know, quasi boomer, you know, sort of age, and uh, Adam Driver's this hipster. I mean, it's about that sort of yeah. divide between the two. And um, Driver is absolutely glomming on the Stiller for recognition, for um, sort of a stepping stone and a pedestal. And uh, at the same time, Stiller is using Driver to... Just for, feel cool and young. Feel cool and young, and, and sort of like the inspiration of that flux of ideas, right? And But it turns out that that relationship becomes one-sided, and Driver absolutely just uses and abuses Stiller, and it's very sad. Mm. Um, spoilers, um, I guess, on all that. It could have gone either way. It could have, I suppose. But I think both actors could have played either end of that relationship. Yeah, I mean, the way it's written, I don't think uh, Stiller's character would have done that. Gotcha. But Driver's character seems to be so authentic and so real, but he's just playing the game. And uh, there is this real sense with JR's character that is doing a similar kind of thing that he is connecting to Varda, and Varda is definitely, in a sense, you know, vampirically like pulling the life from this young creative mind. And so there's a benefit for her, but I, I, ugh, I'm a little creeped out by him. I think maybe there's something here about the, uh, you know, maybe we'll circle back to Wayne's world a little bit from last week. People only do things because they get paid, and that's just really sad. And when yeah. we're talking about art. I mean, if you can get paid to do it, great. And then you ask yourself the question, well, if I don't do any hustle, will I ever get paid for it? Well, maybe not. But if you can't stay true to yourself and do the hustle, then maybe you shouldn't do the hustle. Right. And then maybe that's what it comes down to. If you can't figure out the way to be authentic and get paid, then maybe you should just not get paid. And I think maybe the story that goes on, if this is a romantic comedy, this is the guy who dates the girl on a dare and then actually falls in love with her because I think there is a genuineness to their relationship. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, th- that scene of them in the Louvre together. Kiss me. Well, or singing Ring My Bell yeah. together mm. in the in well, the band, was, which was is yeah, adorable. so good. I, I was just doing a, um, uh, yeah. Uh, She's all that. She's all that, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. And, uh, you know, I picked up your reference. Yeah, I was with you. Thanks. Um, oh, hey, I did a reference Dad got. Hey. That's fun. Good job, kid. And it wasn't before uh, the 80s. So yeah, I know. I didn't even work. have to go that far back. We got to do Can't Hardly Wait on this show. Yeah, Sorry. we do. Uh, ooh. Well, uh, coming of age uh, marathon part two, party movies. We'll see you there, kids. Um, yeah, no, them them singing together is a joy. And him running her through the loop yeah. on the wheelchair. Oh, my God. Dancing and yeah. jumping over the... Incredible. Yeah, it's fantastic, yeah. I think, yeah, I think there is a real friendship there. Yeah. I don't think it's an act at all. But I, I, I wonder about these sort of initial reasons. I like, also wonder, I, I think he knew from the start that he would probably take his glasses off for her. Mm-hmm. The fact that he didn't want to talk about it and that he made her wait for it is silly and staged, and yet I don't think it robs the moment. Right. I think when he finally says, 
you were the kindest person I've ever met. Of course, I will take my sunglasses off to talk to you. It's kind of like a, a really sweet moment. And that's where JLG being withholding yeah. of his presence and entering into the film mm-hmm. is the sort of the, the shadow side of the same idea. It does yeah. feel staged, but maybe it's worth it that it's staged, right? Yeah. Because JR learns a lesson. He learn even if JR like even if it was staged and maybe JR helped stage it. Him seeing like how that affects Varda, I think, is really important. Yeah, life tip: don't be a douche. No, just be nice to people, man. People, if people care about you, like, don't do a bit. Just let them see you. Yeah, it's fine if you if that's part of your dynamic. I mean, yeah, it's fine to do bits with people, but don't like do something so elaborate that they don't actually get to see you when they come to visit you. Mm-hmm. That's kind of screwy. Got anything else you want to say about this business? I don't think I do. I think we need to render a verdict, though. So You think it's that time? I think it is that time. No, I think we've got everything out of the way. So, Shelfer Trash, Elser Instead, Arthur. Well, nope, it's not Elser Instead. Oh, we no, don't do that anymore. That's right. Just Shelfer Trash. Oh, we were so close. We yep. expanded the syllabus. We were so close. I almost nailed it. Well, you I almost mean, got it. It's a new format. Yeah, we, okay. Well, how about this? Shelfer Trash and Miscellaneous. Shelfer. No, hey, no, no, okay. Don't. No. Hey, yeah, you don't, don't like me leave, putting my foot in the door like that, do you? Hey, Arthur, Shelfer Trash. Shelf. Moving on. Wow. <laughs> Tell me why. I don't. I, I I just like it a lot. I I think it's very. I think it's a good entry point as well for people. If you're you're not really familiar with this, uh, you know, I, I think there's a lot of new wave there. And so if you've never really experienced the new wave, I think it's kind of a good entry point. Obviously, if you've seen the new wave, it's some fun callbacks, but also it's playing with some of those, so it could ease you into waters. I think. Um, it's also just a really good documentary. It's, it's mm-hmm. structured well. I, I, I like that they're playing with these kind of other elements to uh, break it up. I mean, if you played this straight, it's it's kind of boring and, and pretty cookie-cutter type of thing. But the way they play and, and, and just bringing Varda and JR to the forefront and then letting them have that dynamic uh, uh, coupled with just the uh, the kind of meta romantic comedy thing that they're doing as well as some of the new wave stuff uh really i think makes it stand out as as something special um and agnes var is just something special and and so uh and for those things alone yeah i would definitely have no uh resistance or hesitancy to put this on the shelf all right well thank you very much for that what do you say dalton shelf or trash yeah, I'm going to say yes. Uh, this is probably my first real entry into into the French New Wave. It's it's going to go shell for me, too. Um, as Arthur mentioned, I, I, I agree with you. It's a great entry point for, for something that's got like a, a high bar for entry uh, because it's one of those things where everybody tells you that, yeah, well, you got to do this. Yeah, I don't want to. Don't tell me what to do. I, I don't like being told what to do. And I think that's part of the problem with canons, right? It creates a sense of homework and also, you know, who makes canons and all that. I mean, we talk about that all the time. But even outside of that, it just makes certain films homework when they shouldn't be. Um, so, yeah, this was a really great entry point for me. Uh, it's a great entry point for a uh, foreign documentary. I mean, if, if documentaries, th- those are both two types of film that hold people at arm's length, uh, international uh, and documentary. And I, for all those reasons, yeah, it's it's a nice, easy, breezy. I mean, it just goes down like a like a smooth day. Uh, it's a good time. It's a warm hug of a film. It damn straight is. It yeah. is. Uh, again, I, I stand by what I said about it. There being moments where I was bored with it. I am glad I decided to go ahead and go to bed and finish it in the morning. I stand by all that. And yeah, yeah, it's just a warm hug. It's real nice. And it's just people being sweet together. I, I got like choked up more times I could count. Oh, yeah. I, I think yeah. every third scene I got Probably every reveal of a, uh, yeah. of a mural was, was one of those moments. Just a lump in my throat. Absolutely. It's, uh, but you know, the good way. It just, it reminds you to take care and have a moment with the people around you. Hey, when you go to the store, 
exchange pleasantries. Don't just, you know, don't make it a business transaction. We all got to, like, do this fucking hustle and dance of trading numbers for goods and services. It's so dumb. Just be nice to somebody. Ask how their day's going. Be be interested. I don't mean just ask to, you know, sh- shoot the shit. Like, be invested when you ask people how their day's going. Uh, and th- I think that's what this this film does. It reminds you to do that. So, yeah, hell yeah, put it on the shelf. I'm saying trash. Um, and maybe shockingly, um, I, I yeah, think it's good. Checks out. I get what you're saying, though. It's it, it's very good. You're just saying there's more. Th- and there's better. a there's a better one. It's, it's the Gleaners and I, and I've been talking about it all episode. The Gleaners and I does everything this does with a bit more focus on uh, labor and on poverty and on the documentary form and Varda minus Jr. Um, and all of that really, really works well. And I think it, it, it is as easy to swallow, and I think it is as moving and um, maybe a little less schmaltzy, despite the fact, uh, again, sort of having a, a strong emotional core. that There is a certain schmaltziness, I think, to um, Faces Places that I mm. don't love at times. The only downside, unfortunately, is that The Gleaners and I does not appear to be streaming anywhere right now, If listener. you've got the Fandor subscription, it is. It is on Fandor, okay. So if you've got Fandor in addition to your Amazon for My... an extra three bucks a month or a free seven-day trial, this podcast is not brought to you by Fandor, but... Um, but Fand- it could be Fandor. Uh, it could be. Make Fan- your move, baby. Hey, Fandor, uh, I'm going to talk about the things that you're doing a lot, your so move, there's Fandor. that. Um, but yeah, The Gleaners and I, I think it's better. Um, so, I mean, if you've only got this option, then yes, but really, uh, the, the, the superior documentary form from Magnus Varda is definitely the Gleaners and I. Okay, fair enough. So. Well, there we have it. Uh, that is, uh, March. This has been Women's History Month. I hope you all had a great time. We way, had a great time talking about these movies. Way to go, Lays. You've done so much more. You really have. Um, I, I saw, I can't remember if this was a tweet or an article, uh, somebody made the point that, uh, hey, maybe we shouldn't just be throwing out, uh, the 100 greatest films directed by women for March on IndieWire and calling it good. Uh, but I think it's still important to do that. I mean, it's just not the only thing you should do. It's a corrective move that gets us to where we need to be, but it's not where we need to be. Absolutely not. But, uh, yeah, we we try. Sometimes we just decide that this is what we're going to do uh, before we think too hard about how many, you know, we say, let's do this marathon, and then we forget that... Uh, women haven't directed a movie about everything because of the way studio systems work. Right. And so we just kind of get stuck in a rut doing movies directed by dudes a lot. And uh, we try not to. And uh, I'm glad we did that. I, I had a fun time. Uh, we, what do we got up next, Arthur? I don't know. <gasps> That's right. You don't oh, know. You know. Dustin knows. I do know. Well, the there's shadow no way, knows. Actually, I know, but I've got it held in secret for even myself. Well, wow. Next week, we are going to be doing a Patreon pick from Mr. Keith and Smith. Good Good dear friend of the show, uh, your uh, your boy. Patreon uh, your Patreon DVD Blu-ray is in the mail. I'm oh. excited for you to get that. I have an update uh, from the list for the listener, uh, Keith, and much like we all have because of you know, it's been the first of the year. He's yeah. had a lot going on. The listener group is not ready yet on Facebook. He sends his regards, listener. Um, it will be eventually. We'll get there. Yeah, we're only one man. Uh, we told him not to worry about it, uh, and uh, we're very excited for his Patreon pick. Okay, there's a certain edginess to this pick because of uh, we had a conversation about Women's History Month, and that we were doing this. He's like, okay, I know what particular actor I want to be a part of this. Surprising no one, Jack, Jack Nicholson. Nicholson. It could have uh, been. It, it could have been. Uh, Mads Mickelson. It could have been Mads. It was more likely to be Jack. It was Jack. And he's like, so I want to do the anti-woman's history film because I think that's an interesting way to counterpoint this. Okay. And so he's chosen Roman Polanski's Chinatown. Whoa. 
to shit. mess with us. And I, I you know what? Wow. <laughs> you know what though? That's I love it. I do too, actually. We're, I think it's good. It's good that we have laid the groundwork in the context of three months of engaging with the the ways in which we uh, women talk about men on film because. Hey, surprise! A lot of the movies directed by women are still about men. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it'll be a really interesting counterpoint because this movie is gross, yes, and also very, very good, yes. And it's fucky that way. I've never seen it. Oh, what? I haven't seen it in years, but I, I, I liked it when I watched it. It's it, it's a good movie by a disgusting person, and Faye Dunaway is abused. Yeah, very badly. And so it's also basically just Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which is weird. Um. Well, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Or, or the other way around. Mm, is it? Chickens, eggs. I don't know what happens. <laughs> is it? I'll tell you one. I'll tell you what. One of them's got Bob Hoskins in it. One of them was directed by Roman Polanski. So I there rest is my that. case. What came first, the chicken or the egg? The dinosaur. You know what I'd right like answer. to see? Uh, Bob Hoskins, uh, like early 80s Bob Hoskins, fight literally anyone. In a John Wick movie? Ooh, or a Mission I, Impossible I film? just meant like, just like in a bar. <laughs> I just meant I want to see like Bob Bob Hoskins got that just a viral act. video. You know Bob Hoskins could throw down back oh, in the day. Yeah, you know he could. That man had uh, fists like like uh, Christmas hams. Yeah. Uh, so this will be well, an interesting. Cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and Keith said I want this movie to be a counterpoint. I want it to be a way in which you say so. This is what's not been happening. And uh, so he's definitely uh, informed and aware of what he's doing when he makes that selection. So cool. we're Keith, not we're Keith, not endorsing, you know, or whatever. I mean, just because Keithan has a very very startling anime image as his header on Twitter does not mean he is not a very smart guy. He's very bright. Yeah, he, he knows what's so up. So you just shot down anybody that listens to anime or watches anime is if you go ignorant. look at if you go look at Keithan's Twitter image, you'll know what I'm talking about. You, you're surprised how bright he is. Yeah. All right. His, Look, his... I'm not I'm not maligning anybody who likes pervert cartoons. I'm just saying this one is <laughs> particularly uh, catches you off guard. When hey, you... Dalton, how yeah. can they talk to us on Twitter? Oh, Arthur. Well, so many ways they could just not do Twitter anymore. But if they're into it, they can go to at good underscore trash, which is a Twitter account both for this show, the genre cast, and all things good trash. Uh, we also have separate Twitter accounts for the Borgo cast and uh, the Praise Down and You've Got Love. Those all have links in the bio for at good underscore trash on Twitter. Uh, you can, whatever you want. W- w- do you like uh, A Loose Five with Wampus Reynolds? Have you been listening? Do you have thoughts on it? Let us know. Uh, that's that. That's where you can go do that. If you want to go somewhere without social media, you can just go to the website. That's goodtrashmedia.com. It's got all the stuff that you need in your your face and in your ears. Uh, I think that's it. We talked about the listener group. It's not ready yet. Uh, rate, review, subscribe. You know the deal. Uh, we're done. You keep watching. We'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid.